It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. I hope you uh, had a great week and are set for a great weekend. But we have a special show, so stop everything and listen. Admiral James Stravitas will be with us shortly. He's going to talk about what's happening in Afghanistan, the new the new uh, policy when it comes to Iraq, and what did China just say to the WTO? All has to do with his areas of expertise. He was former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO amongst his many uh, titles. And Dan Henninger at the bottom of the hour. He's deputy editor of the Wall Street Journal editorial page. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It's true that this this critical race theory, which has been bubbling up for decades now, Tucker, in academia, yeah. has definitely infiltrated our schools. It's misinformation. It's lies. But again, you can't beat lies with nothing. you got to beat it with the truth. Race in America playing out in our classrooms and in sports as the administration gets nailed trying to sneak critical race theory in their budget. And two sports legends, same age, same Olympic Games, same medals, express their view of America today. No different from what they believed then. You'll hear Shelby Steele present the tie-breaking analysis. Number two. People have got to realize that the border crisis isn't just about illegal aliens because what the drug traffickers are doing is diverting law enforcement away from hotspots by sending over a mass of people, mm-hmm. maybe 100 people at a time, for example. This is so agonizing. That was John Katko, congressman from New York. Worse than we imagined. New numbers show more cross our borders illegally than ever before. We're going to get 1.7 million. We pay for their processing, their housing, their transportation, and eventually their welfare. How is the Biden administration getting away with allowing this and perhaps fueling this invasion? Number one. If we're doing all of this stuff to kids, we put tremendous restrictions on kids for a year and a half. 50 million kids with no data. We don't have any studies on masks in children. Where's the data? Where's the study? Yeah, why can't you go focus on that? We have millions of dollars. Find out about masks in kids because we are about to mask our kids up again. Is this incredible? Vaccine arms or mask on face? That was the choice, but get ready for the politicization of the CDC and overmatched president likely to go back on their mantra and mandate indoor masks. You just watch. I, for one, can be counted out as the White House is targeting the governors who are not playing along as a school mask mandate looms. Can we please get a real doctor in the House? And, of course, they take their time to go after Florida, because Florida has been in their face, doing things right, opening their state up, opening up their schools, leaving it up to parents, leaving it up to districts and saying we are not telling our superintendents to tell their principals, to tell their teachers to mask up their kids because the emotional damage it does to kids is beginning to emerge, especially when you talk about first, second and third graders and how many more High schoolers, are we going to rob of a critical time in their lives so they can actually enjoy themselves while picking out a college? Can they take gym? Can they use their lockers? Can they go into the locker room? Possibly. But first things first. So I guess Jen Psaki feels totally comfortable putting her kids in a mask. And she mentioned that from the podium. We think it's totally irresponsible, she said. 
for governors to say to their kids, don't wear a mask to school. Listen to her talk about what's happening in Florida. Uh, This was her yesterday. Um, Got cut number two. We've seen some interesting polling over the last week. I believe it was a CBS poll that showed that vaccinated people in the country are more fearful about the Delta variant than unvaccinated people. That's clearly concerning to us because unvaccinated people should be more fearful. What the president wanted to convey to people in the country is the impact and effect of getting vaccinated. Okay, so CBS does this poll and it says 62 percent who are totally uh, 62 percent are fearful of the Delta variant. Uh, that are not vaccinated. 72% fully vaccinated are more fearful. 48% not fully vaccinated. Uh, and of only 48% are fearful. I think fear's got to get out of there. Fear is a uh, timid way of approaching anything in life. And I think when you walk around huddled in fear, you got a problem. If you are double vaccinated, you should not be walking around in fear. And it's the messaging and mixed messaging from two administrations that is fueling that. Plus, in defense of them, they didn't know what was going on. But taking on, going out of your way to take on Florida's governor is pure politics. And that's what drives people nuts. You looking out for my welfare or are you worrying about the next election? Cut 10. If I were a parent in Florida, that would be greatly concerning to me uh, because kids under the age of 12 are not vaccinated. They're not eligible yet. As the president said last night, obviously it's going to be led by the FDA, but certainly we hope that will be soon. Uh, but that puts kids at risk. It's not aligned with public health guidelines. Uh, we know masks are not the most comfortable thing. I will say my kids are quite adjusted to them, as I know many kids are. Uh, so certainly we would have right. concern about any step that doesn't abide by public well, health. Well, fantastic. Guidelines. Your kids are adjusted to not talking to anybody, not seeing anybody's face. Congratulations. You deal with that. And I'm sure in the private school that you put your kids in, they don't deal with mask situations. But maybe you want that. And I am not critical of any parent who makes that decision. You know what I said? A parent making a decision about their kids. Isn't that a novel idea? That's exactly why Governor Ron DeSantis is the most popular governor in a purple state. Cut nine. There's been talk about potentially people advocating at the federal level imposing compulsory masks on kids. Uh, We're not doing that in Florida, okay? We need our kids to breathe. Parents obviously can equip their kid to go to school however they want, uh, but there shouldn't be any coercive mandates on our schools. At the end of the day, uh, we got to start putting our kids first. We got to look out for their education. Is it really comfortable? Is it really healthy for them to be muzzled and have their breathing obstructed all day long in school? Uh, I don't think it is. It's more contagious, the Delta variant, but it's not more lethal. And if you see the deaths are in the, in the entire country, it, they're around 200, 300. I don't want one person to die. But people are also dying of colds, they're dying of cancer, they're dying of everything. So if there's a death uh, for things that seem preventable, prevent it. Go get a vaccine. I got one. Most people I know got one. But if you haven't got one, research it and understand that you probably have a better chance with very little fallout if you get a vaccine of living a normal life. But they're about to. You mark my words. Maybe by the next time you hear from me, the CDC is going to come out because of political pressure. We know they fell to it because we saw their emails with the teachers unions. We've seen how they acted under two administrations. They're going to come out and say, we suggest that indoor masking, right? In Los Angeles, I'm heartened to see there's huge pushback. Law enforcement wants no part of it. You do not, don't attempt to get reelected and mandate indoor masks. You know what we'll do? We're going to go back to our houses. You know what we're going to do? Restaurants will be empty. 
Bars will be empty. We'll use our own flat screens, have those same people over, only we'll, so the domestic economy will suffer. If you're okay with that, fine. But get, Governor Ron DeSantis gets it. That's why he's a leading presidential candidate. And in terms of actual data, I'm staggered to see out of the $40 billion that we have in NIH, they have not done the studies to find out why any kid has lost their lives because of this. Out of the 165 that are down there, statistically it's zero, right? Statistically zero, under seven years old, 165. How many in underlying conditions? How many would have died and they just wrote that down anyway, if any? But they didn't take any of that money to study it. They're always doing their diversity testing. And their equity testing. Focus on COVID-19. Is that too much to ask? When we come back, Admiral James Stravitas will be here. Then I'm going to talk to Dan Henniger about critical race theory and more of the Wall Street Journal. Deep thinker, uh, well-resourced. And then I'll open up the phones to you and also go over. uh, I just thought this is a fascinating comparison. Most of us were not cognizant of watching the Olympics in 1968. Some were. But that time when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated two weeks prior so in Mexico City, you had John Carlos and Tommy Smith win their, I believe they came in second and third or first or second in, uh, in the 200 meters. And uh, after doing that, they put their fists up in the air with a black glove. They walked out with black socks and they had beads to symbolize lynchings, to symbolize murder and discrimination. Uh, and they got a lot of ridicule for it. And people say, well, you're standing up for a situation where we're coming out of Jim Crow with civil rights unrest and Vietnam War. I get it. You tell me I can't use a water fountain because of the color of my skin or go to the back of the bus because of the same thing. That's an issue. If you tell me I travel with my football team and I can't stay in that hotel with my white teammates, that's an issue. Look at America today. George Foreman was in the same Olympics, won a gold. He walked around the ring with the American flag. And in 2021, he says he loves America just as much. And in 2021, John Carlos, who had his fist in the air, Seems just as disappointed in America. Who's right? We'll discuss that this hour, and I want to get your opinion. Coming up next, though, what we're new now doing in Iraq, we've changed strategies. What we are dealing with in Afghanistan, excuse me, yeah, in Afghanistan, and what China just said when asked by the WHO to be more transparent about the origins of the virus. All that coming your way with Admiral James Stavridis. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com. 
KenRusk.com slash path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com slash path. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I would tell you that as of today, uh, more or less, I guess it's about 212, 213. It's in that range, 200s. Uh, the district centers are in Taliban control. It's about half of the 419 that are out there. Uh, and what they're trying to do is isolate the major population centers. They're trying to do the same thing uh, to Kabul. Uh, and roughly speaking, order of magnitude, uh, a significant amount of territory has been seized over the course of six, eight, ten months sort of thing by the, by the Taliban. So momentum appears to be, strategic momentum appears to be sort of with the Taliban. And evidently one of the strategies Gahani seems to be using is the, to you know, just hold on to the major power centers, especially Kabul and Kandahar, and don't worry about the outskirts. If you look at the map, it's intimidating, maybe not so much for a military expert like Admiral James Stavridis, former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, who was actually on the ground in Afghanistan with the surge under the Obama administration and author of the best-selling book, 2034, A Novel of the Next World War. Admiral, welcome back. Great to be back, and uh, I think General Mark Milley, whose voice we just heard, uh, is giving you pretty good analysis there, Brian. Um, I'd add a couple of points to it. Um, the Taliban's doing uh, the easy part first, as the saying goes, pick the low-hanging fruit. That means taking over in places where there is a very low government presence. And the reason there's a low government presence is those parts of the country look like the moon with gravity. You know, I, I commanded that mission many, many places. Just nobody's there other than a few dusty small villages. Too bad for them. But in terms of real uh, – clout, real economic heft. It is the major cities. But uh, General Milley has it exactly right. Momentum, even if you're taking over un, uh, uninhabited areas, you know, it, as that map turns red, so to speak, it, it undermines will and leadership. And that's their strategy. It's smart strategy. Admiral, there was, a, there was some airstrikes last night. I guess we'll be able to strike from Qatar or UAE. Yep. Uh, so if we just commit to airstrikes, how will that change things? If, they, if the Taliban knows we're still going to be there in some way, even if we have to make it you know, over the horizon, so to speak, does that make you feel better about the government's chances of holding on? It does, uh, strongly. And the reason is that uh, the, the differentiation between the Afghan government and the Taliban is kind of in three areas. Uh, one of which you just mentioned, it's it's air power. And if we can continue to keep the air power coming to them, that's quite significant. Second, intelligence. Um, if we can keep intelligence flowing to them, and, and an awful lot of intelligence, you know this, Brian, like a very high percentage comes from satellites, overhead sensors, drones. We can continue to operate that and give them the intelligence. The third thing we can't do, and that's boots on the ground, um, that kind of strength, will, leadership of having American troops and American advisors right there next to you. Can't do that from over the horizon. You can certainly do the other two things. U.S. Iraqi officials yesterday announced the U.S. military shift to an advisory role in Iraq by year's end, marking the official end of the U.S. combat mission in the country. What's the significance there? Is, this the, t- is the timing right with you, Admiral? Uh, there's less there than meets the eye, Brian. Um, Kind of we made that pivot in Afghanistan uh, years ago to getting out of the on the ground combat, sending our troops into direct combat. In 2014, right? 
Yeah, exactly. So so we made that turn in Afghanistan. We're going to make that turn in Iraq sooner or later. Feels about right to me. If you, if you look back at the peak of the Islamic State, and that's who we're fighting there, of course, um, that was, um, oh, gosh, five years ago, four years ago. So since then, we've sort of walked it back in terms of direct combat. Um, I think the Iraqi forces can handle it. I would, just like in Afghanistan, Brian, I would like to see us maintain troops on the ground, few thousand doing the training. And again, you add to that air power intelligence in Iraq on the on the ground training. Those three things are the key to helping these regimes. That's the key because we leave, the Iranians move in, and the Iraqis who's will have no choice but to continue to take their cues from them. Give the Iraqis a chance by having our presence there. I think what's undersold that the former chairman of foreign relations should know about is a presence gives you a little bit of leverage and influence. That should be told to the American people. Absolutely right. And I think that the more uh, the administration can explain why, the better. And and in both Afghanistan, where the concern is really al-Qaeda coming back if the Taliban let them, whereas in Iraq, it is the idea of the Islamic State. Um, You know, in Iraq, it's a better story right now, right? The Islamic State is uh, pretty beaten down. Uh, it, It really begs the question, is this the time to simply walk away from Afghanistan? But look, that decision's been made. So as we've been discussing, the degree to which you can keep that um, airstrike capability and that intelligence flowing, as well as the financial resources, then I think the Afghans can hold on for some time to come. But if you speak out now, you'll have credibility when things fall apart and they start pointing fingers, say, I told you, at least be on the record when it's difficult, instead of coming in with, I told you so. Um, because it's it's uh, it doesn't help much. Admiral, let's pivot real quick to another area which you wrote about in, in your book, 2034, and that's China. Yesterday, they rejected the WHO's request to do a more thorough investigation. Here's the White House's reaction, cut 15. The G7 leaders together called for a transparent evidence-based investigation, including in China. And after the phase one study, we were joined by allies and partners across the world in a joint statement calling for a transparent and independent uh, analysis, expressing our concerns over the lack of access and urging momentum. It's clear China isn't living up to their obligations. What our focus is on is building this multilateral effort uh, and support for putting pressure on uh, and out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Making clear that it's but they're not they're not going to feel pressure, are they, through words. And they're not, and the WHO finally is getting frustrated. They should have been this frustrated over a year ago. Your thoughts? Um, on the WHO, better late than never, I guess. But uh, the, the more we can create... Um, economic pressure on China, the the sooner we will get to the bottom of this. And what I mean by that is 
Um, all of the allies, partners, and friends that uh, Ms. Pisaki mentions. Um, and I would add a particular one here. India can be very uh, important in this over time. Building that co coalition, Brian, you understand this, of uh, the NATO nations, Europe, if you will, European Union, United States, Japan, India, that's a lot of throw weight. And uh, you move around China economically, and I would argue work on free trade zones that link the United States to all of those partners, right. uh, put the pressure in that way on China. Admiral, uh, pick, every, go out and pick up the Admiral's book. It's a bestseller, 2034, a novel, The Next World War. It's based on everything you've learned about the region, which is a lot. Admiral, thanks so much. Well, what a pleasure, Brian. Have a great weekend. Dan Henniger next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to, to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. We've seen some interesting polling over the last week. I believe it was a CBS poll that showed that vaccinated people in the country are more fearful about the Delta variant than unvaccinated people. That's clearly concerning to us because unvaccinated people should be more fe fearful. And what the president wanted to convey to people in the country is the impact and effect of getting vaccinated. So we also know statistically that 97 percent of hospitalizations are for people who are unvaccinated. All right. Uh, they are very frustrated at the White House to get more people vaccinated. We're at 60 percent now, double vaccinated of all adults. Joining me now is Dan Henniger of The Wall Street Journal, knows all about the major issues uh, in and around the world. First off, this variant has this administration on its heels, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, there's no question. Uh, it's, you know, I, th I think the big reason is, uh, well, there's a couple of reasons, Brian. Uh, one is that um, the the whole Biden agenda, shall we say, is uh, kind of hitting some calm water. Look at the problems they're having in Congress with these multi-trillion dollar bills. They've sent up a bill. Chuck Schumer tried to get them to vote on something that there was no content in the bill. And it's not clear where it's going. You've got inflation in the economy. That could be a problem out there for uh, the economy going forward. So amidst all that, you've got this situation with vaccination rates and COVID. This is the single issue in America, I think, that every American is aware of and is looking at. No matter what your thoughts on it, you know about COVID. And if COVID vaccination rate, which the Biden administration decided to put a metric on on July 4th, uh, is slowing down, and if you have the development of uh, other things like the Delta variant or a problem with so-called long COVID symptoms persisting after a person's had COVID, that's, I think, a political problem for the president because ultimately he is the guy who's going to get some blame for it. And I think they're worried it could be pulling down uh, have a dilatory effect on the rest of the Biden presidency. No question. And here's the thing. Uh, they want to get everyone vaccinated, but they don't do two things. They don't go out of there. They say this is the numbers they give us. 52% of Republicans are vaccinated, double vaccinated, and 80-something Democrats. And they say this is their number one focus. But they will never give warp speed credit for creating. 
And that would help reluctant Republicans, logic would lead, and they will not crack down on the border where we know people we don't know from countries we can't find and who are coming across our border with health histories we have no idea about. They say that people are tested. It's up 900 percent. Don't tell me you're going to knock on my door and demand I get vaccinated. At the same time, not close our southern border or try. Yeah, exactly right. Um you know, what we're seeing here are the uh, consequences of something we talked about for a long time. It's called Trump derangement syndrome. Uh, personally, if I think the Biden administration is famous for a, one single phenomenon, it's coming into office and just methodically reversing everything, everything. Donald Trump did, right? Good, bad, ugly, whatever. If Trump touched it, Biden reverses it. And, uh, you know, over 60 million people voted for Donald Trump, and some of those people feel strongly about it. And now he's going out, won't, as you say, will not give credit for Operation Warp Speed, will not bring the Warp Speed people in to talk about it. Uh, makes it, he, he actually argues that he is rescuing the economy from a depression, which he implies was caused by somehow by Donald Trump, all of which is false. So, why should he be surprised when people out there? Uh, are reflecting politicized uh, vaccination hesitancy. And yes, the border, the worst, most visible example of all this, reverses the policies Trump put in place, which essentially shut down the border. I think it's kind of a Band-Aid solution to the immigration problem. But be that as it may, they're pouring across now. A lot of them have COVID. They refuse or don't have COVID. They refuse to get vaccinated. What are some people supposed to think of that? And why are they coming to our country to get vaccinated? There's a reason. I mean, even Japan. I mean, you, it makes no sense. They're worried about uh, everyone following the rules and laws. They're letting criminals come across the border. No interested in cracking down. The vice president doesn't even pretend that she's in charge of this, nor do we believe these kids, these people are from Central America anymore. Now they're coming from a million nations. Who is flying them to our continent that puts them on foot to have them cross in Mexico? we got to start asking these questions. Is someone behind this chaos? 1.5 million, we don't know who they are? Well, I think a lot of them are the immigrants. I mean, themselves, people want to come to the United States. They save money to do so. Uh, so they find a plane ticket that gets them into Central America, and then we've seen the pictures uh, on uh, Fox News every night. You just do do across the Rio Grande, turn yourself in, you're in America. Now, I mean, it's a complete outrage. There are hundreds of thousands of people around the world who are standing in the U.S. immigration line, some of them waiting for years and years and years to come in legally. And now you've got all these people busting the border. Well, the problem is that, you know, Biden compulsively was reversing all these Trump policies, but he had no plan B. He had no idea what he was going to do when uh, uh, something like this eventuated, other than simply let it happen. And again, Brian, you got to come around ultimately to what are the politics of these situations. And it's difficult for me to see how the politics of the border related to uh, COVID cannot but hurt the uh, Democrats going forward. I would guess a lot of Democrats out there in House seats that are kind of purple, go Republican one term, Democrat the next term, they've 
got to be very worried about the way this is going for them. Dan, you write about there's a push out there and that people are ignoring. If you look at Belarus, you look at what Hong Kong gave us a year ago, look what happened with Cuba. There's a push for freedom around the world. And no one, you said, no one started, you know, knew that the Berlin Wall was going to fall and what it was going to mean when it happened. Sadly, the CIA wasn't ahead of that. You think there's an opportunity here. When they're flying and walking and chanting uh, about America with the American flag, you see something going on. For the first yeah, time but- since the 60s, it's an organic movement on the ground in Cuba. And suddenly this administration is talking about the, how bad communism is and the fight for freedom in Cuba. What are they seeing? What are you seeing? Well, I think what I'm seeing is we have watched, we are aware of these extraordinary events in Cuba and uh, protest against the Castro communist government. Uh, we Hong Kong was just perhaps the most extraordinary event of our time, starting in March uh, 2019 and going forward, hopelessly overmatched. These brave Hong Kong people just coming out day after day after day. More recently as well, we had significant protests all across South Africa, a country that we know uh, escaped from apartheid in the 1990s and has been run by the African National Congress ever since. The country is a mess. Belarus, you mentioned. Russia, even. Alexei Navalny. I think, you know, because of things like social media, People in these oppressed countries are acutely aware of what's going on elsewhere. They saw what was going on in Hong Kong. And Hong Kong was about one single thing, freedom. No other issue. We want individual freedom. And that's what Cuba is about. That's what South Africa and Belarus and Russia are about. To me, the irony is that what is the only country in the world that seems to be legislatively going in the other direction? The United States, <laughs> you've got a Democratic Congress trying to impose this $5 trillion uh, legislation of entitlements, welfare spending, uh, regulatory uh, uh, oppressions on people to try to create a command. Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Ocasio-Cortez, a command and control system run out of Washington. It, it's just a bitter irony when you've got so many people in the world yearning for individual freedom, putting their lives at risk. And here we are wasting our time in Washington, considering going in the opposite direction. Lastly, would you know, we've, we've done uh, things right and wrong when it came to helping out countries fighting for freedom in Venezuela. Did what we could, but we were not able to and not willing to overcome the influence of Iran, China and Russia. What about Cuba? What do you think we should be doing now? Well, I think we should be certainly encouraging these people uh, as much as we can. Uh, we do not want to get into another Mariel Boatlift uh, situation. That's when the Cubans push people, the government pushes people on boats and sends them to the United States. We don't want to do that. But I think we should be sanctioning. You know, they, they, the, the left complains all the time about the embargo. Uh, you had Nicole Hannah-Smith, the New York Times 1619 Project, saying just this past week, Cuba is the most equal nation in the uh, Americas, which is totally false, an embarrassment, embarrassment to the New York Times. I would think the president of the United States should be speaking out on this regularly and routinely uh, because the Cuban people, it looks as though, are making a final 
ultimate push to get themselves out of a dictatorship that has lasted about 60 years. And, you know, you mentioned Nicaragua, Venezuela, somebody that's very hard, Brian, we know it's very hard, but the Cuban people are brave, and uh, I think they deserve America's explicit support. I do. Uh, I agree. We've been waiting for this for a long time. And the, the Cubans in Miami, it's as, as if it was 1960 again. Uh, they see an opening, their, uh, their loyalty to this country and their willingness to sacrifice for what they left in their country is astonishing. And I think they appreciate the Republicans. And I think that Joe Biden sitting on his hand for two weeks will not be forgotten. Uh, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Dan Henniger, have a great weekend. Great talk. Great talking to you, Brian. Deputy Editor of the Wall Street Journal. Always great. Uh, Dan, thank you. Meanwhile, when we come back, your turn. one 408 So I told you about 1968, and I don't have to tell you about critical race theory. It's on every single day. But as we go to break, a little from the debate I'm going to introduce and then open up the phones when we get back, and that is about race in America today as compared to where it was. Even Bill Maher said to not acknowledge the progress we have made as a country is absurd, and it's intolerable, and it's illogical. But as we go to break, here is Shelby Steele on America Today, a little bit later, what he thinks about it in the 1960s. Cut 34. What frustrates me today when I see someone like Gwen Berry protesting at the Olympics is that, honey, you're, you're 60 years too late. Uh, protest is not going to develop black America. Black America is going to have to develop itself. Uh, we want certainly with uh, the goodwill of other people, but it's our responsibility to develop it. So to get on the winning stand and pretend that you're somehow a victim of racism and so forth, is, is horrible. It's an abomination. It, it really sends exactly the wrong message uh, to society. There's, and there is, the point is, there is no racial discrimination behind it. This is not a systemically racist society. It is a systemically goodwill toward black people's society. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis. Because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Gwen Berry is a symbol of defiance. You know, her symbol is like John Lewis said, she created good trouble. Understand? And that's something that you should be proud of, when, particularly when a people or a race of people are in the fire. Many individuals run when that, in, in that crisis situation, but there are certain individuals that stand tall for all those individuals that stood as well as those that ran. So you probably don't know the voice, but you know what he did. John Carlos, 1968. You talk about race in America, and then you have the Olympics coming up. And, you know, in 1968, I, I didn't remember. I had to look it up. The MLK was assassinated two weeks before the Mexico City Games. You had uh, wide civil, right pro, civil right protests, LBJ's New Society, uh, busing. And then you had the Vietnam War on top of all that kind of squelched a lot of the racial unrest, to be honest. And as you looked, of course, they had a draft at the time. So 
America was uh, was definitely reeling. And now you look in 2021, you see the progress being made. You see so many things that are going right. And you see so many of those programs made everything worse. They essentially destroyed the black family. And when you see other ethnic groups rise and you just want to blame white people, that doesn't fly for me. What about you? It doesn't fly for Ben Carson. It doesn't fly for Tim Scott. It doesn't fly for Condoleezza Rice. It doesn't fly for Shelby Steele. And it doesn't fly for George Foreman. He was in the same Olympics 1968. Here's what he said. Then he was pro-American. He got pressure not to be, grabbed the flag, walked around the ring, proudly wore his gold medal, became a two-time heavyweight champ, now a beloved figure in sports and beyond boxing. Here he is on primetime with me last night. I'll be on tonight at 7, cut 35. Because I've loved America all along. I've always loved America. And once you fall in love, just like falling in love with your wife, no one can say anything about it. The next night, she's my wife, and I'm going to stay. That's why you make that thing until death do we part. And that's why nothing has ever shook my faith and love in the country. And when you love a country, nothing can bother you. If you are halfway in love, you're going to have a lot of trouble. So you get it? He say he doesn't need to say it. We're not perfect. No relationship's perfect. No spouse is perfect. I'm what I'm in. I'm all in. I'm not going to judge. And when in America, we always we keep wanting to judge and evaluate and see if it's worthy of us. Really? Instead of making it better. So I don't want to step on what Shelby Steele says because I interviewed him last night on primetime. So I'll expound on what's left out. But he pretty much comprehends it. He listened to uh, John Carlos. And he listened to George Foreman, and he said this, cut 38. The Olympics were, were a huge event, and the, the fist in the air. I identified with it. At that point in time, I thought it was an extremely authentic protest against a, an America that had indulged in segregation and Jim Crow. I grew up in, the, in a world of segregation and racism. So I was, a, I was really a part of that, and this was part of the black power move that said, we're not going to tolerate it anymore. It's over. And even at, as sacred as the winning stand of the Olympic Games, we're going to bring our protest to the whole world. So I supported them. I also I also supported George Foreman. My, my father was son of literally a slave. I'm the grandson of a slave. So I, I grew up in a family devoted to civil rights. But my father would, would say that we had to give America a chance because it was a great country. All we wanted was to get in. We didn't want to change America. We didn't hate America. America. We wanted to join America, and we wanted to have America welcome us in. And George Foreman stood for that. So you understand that's the major difference put brilliantly by Shelby Steele? We wanted into America, and we were left out from water fountains to buses to a lot of jobs and opportunities. No question. No question. But that's changed. And he thoroughly believes that. Sums it up here. Cut 39. All the things that we protested back then are over with. We are as free as you can possibly be free. We have enjoyed freedom now for some some 50 or so years. Our problem has been a lack of development. We haven't developed commensurate with the with the new freedom that we won for ourselves. And so we're still behind. And critical race theory will not help. Quick note. On September 25th, they'll be at the Powermount Theater with the great Dana Perino talking about laughter, life, and the joy of liberty. Go to briankillme.com and get tickets. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. 
Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hope you've been with us all week long and have a great weekend queued up. They were coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. In New York, they say the hotels are now filling up, up 17,000 just from a week. But it's not cleaning up. I'm telling you, you go into these subways and you go on a 42nd Street and some of the main tourist attractions, it's not the same place. Not the Wild West, but not the same place. The neighborhood's safer than you see a lot of the tourist areas. We'll see how this goes. We certainly have an incompetent mayor and uh, and a hamstrung police chief who got a billion dollars cut out of the budget. We'll see if we pay the price like other major cities. Geraldo waiting on deck, the former Secretary of the Interior. I've did a lot of features with him, former Navy SEAL and former congressman from Montana. Wants to go back into Congress, believe it or not. Ryan Zinke will join us live. But first, big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It's true that this this critical race theory, which has been bubbling up for decades now, Tucker, in academia, yeah. has definitely infiltrated <laughs> our schools. It's misinformation, it's lies, but again, you can't beat lies with nothing. you got to beat it with the truth. True. Senator Josh Hawley, race in America, playing out in our classrooms and in sports. As the administration gets nailed, trying to sneak critical race theory into their budget and into their curriculum. And two sports legends, same age, same Olympic Games, same medals, expressed their view of America today racially. And you'll hear from Shelby Steele. He'll present the tie-breaking analysis. Number two. People have got to realize that the border crisis isn't just about illegal aliens because what the drug traffickers are doing is diverting law enforcement away from hotspots by sending over a mass of people, mm-hmm. maybe 100 people at a time, for example. John Katko of New York. Worse than we imagined. New numbers show more has crossed over the border illegally in the southern border than ever before. We pay for their processing, their housing, their transportation, and eventually probably their welfare. How is the Biden administration getting away with this and perhaps fueling the invasion? Number one. If we're doing all of this stuff to kids, we put tremendous restrictions on kids for a year and a half. 50 million kids with no data. We don't have any studies on masks in children. Where's the data? Where's the study? Do you believe this $40 billion and we don't have studies on masks in kids? And we spend a a small portion on COVID-19 at all with the NIH? Vaccine arms or mask on face. That was the choice, but get ready for the politicization of the CDC. An overmatched president likely to go back on their mantra and mandate indoor masks. I, for one, can be counted out on this. The White House is targeting the governors who are just not playing along as the school mask mandate looms. Can we please get a real doctor in the House and not a politician? Geraldo, Fox News correspondent at large, thanks for being largely with us. I've missed you, Brian. I know. Can I give some breaking news before I uh, get into uh, your your big three? Uh, The Cleveland Indians are now, as of uh, about 15 minutes ago, the Cleveland Guardians. So if you've uh, heard the Cleveland Indians baseball team over a century uh, here in uh, the city of Cleveland, uh, beloved, but uh, then they got in a jam with all of the identity uh, politics and and all the rest of wokeness. Uh, So now the Cleveland Indians are the Cleveland Guardians uh, in the American League as of next year, Brian. So, yeah, it was just announced. They've been known since 1915 as the Indians. 
Uh, so they said we're going to change the name, but they didn't have that pause like the Redskins did and make it 18 fit. You know, they said we're going to be the Washington Football Club until we decide. They went right away midseason. What about that? Actually, Allison and, and Eric, if you wouldn't mind pulling, it looks like Tom Hanks narrated something. It was beautiful. I re- it I was heard good? It, uh, yeah, yeah oh, maybe yeah. we'll play yeah, a little yeah. of it. It's Forrest Gump. Yeah, um, but a couple of things. First off, what do you think, Guardians? Uh, I wanted the Commodores. You know, uh, we have a beautiful, uh, you know, lake here, the the pivotal battle in 1812, Commodore Perry. Uh, that's why Detroit and Michigan belong to the United States and not to Canada. So I wanted the Cleveland Commodores. Erica wanted the Cleveland Rockers. My wife, Erica, wanted the Cleveland Rockers because this is the home of rock and roll, and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is here. Guardians is the, you know, there's a bridge right by the uh, the stadium with big Guardians, uh, two statues of Guardians uh, the, on, on the bridge itself that are really a big landmark here. So it's more, I think it resonates more with Clevelanders or people from Northeast Ohio than it does from out-of-towners. Sounds a little pretentious uh, if you don't know the background. It's, it's certainly not as, uh, as vivid as the Cleveland Indians. I don't know. Uh, uh, you know, but they, they can use the Guardian face on the statues as the logo. It's a strong, uh, very macho, very uh, kind of medieval look, Brian. But why do it mid-season? you got to do so much signage and marketing around it. It's bizarre. Remember, a couple of years ago, they got rid of Chief Wahoo uh, on their jersey and everything else, and they used to be of Chief Wahoo running through the stands. Do you Have, have the American Indians been public in their... Um, in their feelings about this? Because I know there was a big pushback for the Redskins saying we're not insulted by this, the actual Indian community. The the Native Americans are definitely divided on it. You're absolutely right. Chief Wahoo was a kind of a caricature that was beyond the pale. I mean, a big, was? Tooth, okay. uh, yeah. dopey, uh, you know, kind of uh, looked, it made the Indian look uh, very, very jerky. Uh, so they, once they got rid of him, the Cleveland Indians could have been done with great dignity, I thought. Uh, you know, if they wanted to preserve the name, they could have reached out, and they were, you know, they were a, a We've had Native American players on the team, uh, many minorities on the team, some of the first ever to play in uh, the major leagues uh, started here in Cleveland. Uh, you know, uh, Gar- Guardians, uh, let's let's let it sit for a while. We'll get, get used to it. What I'm more concerned with is the fact that they cut their budget to the lowest uh, payroll in the history of the team, uh, and we've traded away a lot of our stars, like uh, Frankie Lindor to the to the Mets. Uh, he's just been injured, but uh, we we the team is uh, is hollow. Our ace Sean Bieber is out with an injury, so I, I worry about the team performance more than I do their name, Brian. Wow, that's very interesting. Uh, we'll see what happens. They got to change it right away. I imagine someone designed the uniform, so we'll see if they are actually ready to do it. Lastly, you know, I, I met Massapequa are the Chiefs. That's my town. And then you have the Kansas City Chiefs. And you would think that's like saying captains, you know, the, the brand in charge, the generals. I agree. And, and you, it man. keeps us in the vernacular. It keeps it part of Americana. I just, uh, you know, by eliminating, are you making anybody happy? So, you know, we, I would. We've become so yeah. overly sensitive uh, to the point where it's uh, self-defeating sometimes. It's embarrassing to see how people retreat uh, under the uh, the wrath of political correctness. You know, I've been the uh, the target of, uh, of these attacks. Uh, you know, they, they are withering. Unless you are someone who's very secure in your own skin, 
and in your in your position, uh, you know, it's very hard to withstand these. Uh, and you know, it, it it would like the Cleveland Indians. Let's take that as an example. Uh, you, you don't. It wasn't an uprising of, of the the, uh, the national uh, Native American population. You know, a couple of activists here and there. It's enough to to get uh, the ball rolling, and then management says, you know, I want to play ball. I want to make money. I don't want to have to deal with demonstrations in front of my ballpark. So, uh, you know, you're going to have uh, – everything's going to be laundered. Everything's going to be, uh, you know, politically correct. It's uh, it's all part of the same argument, critical race theory, all the rest of it. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, you know, uh, you can't dare, uh, you know, hang on to tradition. It happened to me at Yale University. You know that story. I was a fellow at Calhoun College at Yale University, uh, and then they changed uh, uh, John C. Calhoun, uh, the South Carolina senator, is the uh, who was a racist and a slaveholder in uh, 1820 uh, South Carolina. Uh, his name was on the college uh, for well over a century, and they changed it because uh, you know a, a student said that uh, he, uh, an African American student, said that he felt uncomfortable with the stained glass uh, likenesses of. Uh, of Calhoun, uh, so they had to change everything. They named the college after, uh, you know, a, a female astronaut from uh, the 1960s, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I resigned. I just I, I resent uh, trying to rewrite history. I think that you put a plaque on it, you try and give perspective to it, uh, but you can't judge uh, anyone in 1820 by the uh, you know right. 200 years later. So uh, by the, the different standards, I got the perfect segment. We only have uh, we have five minutes for you in particular because I'm bringing up 1968. But just on that, uh, my new book coming out in November. It's called The President and Freedom Fighter, and it's about uh, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, uh, and their battle to save America's soul. But you look at some of the things that Lincoln said. You know, you, he said, "Well, I you know I want freedom for everybody, but I don't think blacks and whites are equal. I think whites are definitely uh, superior." That's just that was the conventional wisdom at the time. He was considered cutting edge. So you can't take some of the things he said there. Frederick Douglass was way ahead of his time. Um, uh, but, you know, Abraham Lincoln, even though he was ahead, he certainly would, these comments certainly wouldn't fly today. But that's part of learning history and growing from it. I mean, people aren't happy with 1970 sitcoms, let alone 1860s politics. But I want to talk about in 1968, two weeks prior to the Olympics, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. is shot. John Carlos would walk out along with Tommy Smith with his in black socks with black beads, uh, and he put his uh, black glove up and uh, black power to talk about problems in America and the lynchings and everything like that. Here's John Carlos today when it came to protesting in these Olympics. Cut 32. Why am I being defined? Because I felt like as a young individual, I represented America. But at the same time, America seems like it doesn't want me to represent self. And that's a distaste mm-hmm. in my in my mouth and in my mind. You know, I could have gone in front of the Apollo Theater. I was raised in Harlem. I could have gone there. I could have been in Europe and made a statement. But the statement would not reach the masses that I'm trying to reach. I'm so, not- so he has no regrets, and he's, he's really for Gwen Berry doing what she did. George Foreman, same Olympics, wins gold, walks around with a, uh, a flag, and this is how he feels today. That's John Carlos today. Here's George Foreman today, cut 35. Because I've loved America all along. I've always loved America. And once you fall in love, just like falling in love with your wife, no one can say anything about it. The next night, she's my wife, and I'm going to stay. That's why you make that thing until death do we part. And that's why nothing has ever shook my faith and love in the country. And when you love a country, 
Nothing can bother you. So, so he has that theme. It was unbelievable. Great feedback. John Carlos, I'm sure, is getting great feedback from others. Where does Geraldo Rivera stand, who is also in the prime of his life then? I was in 1968. It was, uh, it was definitely. I was a, I was a radical lawyer, so I sympathized uh, with uh, John Carlos at the time, but also with George Foreman. And now, uh, my love for George Foreman has been enduring over the uh, over the generations. And when I look at, uh, you know, the women's soccer team just now, uh, prior to their loss to uh, Sweden, uh, you know, taking t- taking the knee at the Olympics, I have to say, uh, it 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 upset me. It bothered me. I, I, I looked at it with the Olympics being so troubled with COVID and uh, on again, off again. Uh, uh, you know, it, it just seemed that the, the it, it just seemed discordant uh, to, to me. It seemed uh, like uh, unnecessary. And it almost seemed like they'd been planning it for, for months that they, they all became uh, politicians. Uh, now they have the right to do it. I, I you know, I, I, I think the NFL players have the right to do it if they so choose. Uh, but I have the right to be uh, unsettled by it. Uh, you know, uh, I'm not, obviously, I'm not the same uh, in terms of my fire, uh, the same uh, ideology as I was 1968, uh, you know, more than a half a century ago. I remember it. I respect it. I, I embrace who I was then. Uh, but I, I think that there's ways to protest where you include rather than exclude. And I think George Foreman was a perfect example. And he's the one I, I'd, I'd love my children and their children uh, to really follow and admire. Right. Not that I fault John Carlos. He did what he thought was the right thing to do at the time in Mexico City. I remember uh, what a dramatic moment it was. Uh, you, you know, I, I, the, the, the other thing is, Brian, I, I really believe that old adage about when you're overseas, it's a di- you're a different – you have a different tone uh, than you do when you're home. When you're home, you can say anything you want. You know, uh, this is a bunch of baloney, this is bull, or I love this and uh, you're wrong or you're this or you're that. Uh, but when you're overseas and, and you're wearing the colors of your country, it's, a, it, it's, it's, it's almost like a different, more stringent rule applies. I don't mean to be, uh, you know, uh, on both sides of this issue. I just think that discretion sometimes is the better part of valor, and sometimes discretion says you hold back, that you don't express your full fury. Leave that till you get home. Right? And Shelby Steele came in, and I don't have time now, but he came in and said, what we were fighting for in 68, we got. That's over now. And, of course, you could always make progress. But he says, now it's time to understand the progress we made and know that it's not the same country. We're better in every way. And that's one thing that is, seems to be missing from this conversation, that of all people, Bill Maher factored in a couple of weeks ago, too. Geraldo, thanks so much. Always great. You too, Brian. See you. Talk to you later. one 408 The former Secretary of the Interior. What is the former Navy SEALs plans to do next? He'll be joining us, Ryan Zinke. But next is also you. Call me now. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
a radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Just yesterday, we had a, a landowner in town saw a man jump off the train uh, in town. He walked into our community. He called me. I called our, our uh, police department, chief of police. We stopped the individual. He was a Cuban gang member, but he was given his walking papers by Border Patrol because the Biden administration has said all Cubans are free to go. They're not going to be... Uh, they're not, we're not going to be detaining them, and we're not going to be sending them back. So we couldn't do anything other than, you know, and here he is walking into our community. And he started out in Brackenville, Well, but wait Texas. a second. I mean, Cu I mean, Cuba is an island that does not abut Mexico. Ghana is in Africa. Haiti is half of Hispaniola in the Caribbean. I mean, it seems like a lot of people are flying to Mexico to get into the United States. That's what we're seeing. I mean, you've had, a, I think it's up to 150 countries now across the border in the Del Rio sector. Uh, you know, 150 countries, and where do they, how are they getting there? That's, you know, that's the question I ask all the time. But you can't get an answer out of the Border Patrol, and you can't get an answer out of this administration. You know, it's pretty amazing, and that is Don McLaughlin. He's the mayor of Ovalde, Texas, border town, on with Tucker last night, pointing out the number of people is innumerable, number one. Number two is they're not even from the Central American nations anymore. They're from all these nations. I'm wondering, who's writing the check? Who's providing the ID to get them to another country? And what country is it? Is it Mexico directly? Is anybody talking to Mexico about stopping their southern border if they're crossing there? And if they're flying right into Mexico and working towards our border, that's also a problem, ultimately controllable. You only When you land, you can only go so many places. You could only go through so many gates. You could control this. There is no effort to control it. And if you think that Democrats are going to control the Hispanic vote, you have not paid attention to the last election specifically. When you saw how many Hispanics, especially in southern Florida, Cuba uh, specifically, voted for Governor DeSantis, gave him the election, and for President Trump. And when you see the number of Texas, I think it's 14 Predominantly Hispanic districts that went for President Trump. If you think Hispanic votes will be Democratic votes, it's a terrible play. But in the meantime, you know what a terrible play is? Not controlling the border. And Joe Biden in 2006, you, find the, you funded the building of a fence at our border. And now you're not even bringing up our border. Quick note, on September 25th in Asbury, New Jersey at the Paramount, I'll be with Dana Prino. On stage. I want you to get tickets as well. Talk about all my books, talk about history, talk about the news, and Dana will talk about her. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one on one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to FoxNewsPodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. You lead with ideas, Brian. You lead by talking about the future. You need to, you need to lead by saying, look, Joe Biden's wrong for wanting to spend this into oblivion. Joe Biden is wrong by pouring more gasoline onto this economy that's already got an over 5% inflation rate and going higher. Joe Biden is wrong to allow the, the Nord 2 pipeline to have gas going from Russia to Germany and making that relationship closer. Joe Biden is wrong for not being tougher on China. Joe Biden is wrong in a bunch of ways, and we need to be talking about those issues directly and frankly. And on vaccines, we need to be giving people our honest opinion about how 
how effective these vaccines have been in preventing serious hospitalization and death. And we should not be going back to mask mandates. And then talk about who came up with the vaccine, the previous administration, who's done a real good job getting it in people's arms, this administration. That means if you took politics out of it and you just want to keep America healthy, but politics is never out of it. Ryan Zinke joins us now. He is temporarily out of politics, former secretary of the interior, U.S. Navy SEAL, and running for Congress in Montana again. Congressman, Mr. Secretary, uh, welcome back. Hey, great to be here. Like the Terminator, I'm back. You are back. You know, I just thought that, you know, uh, you needed another term with the Trump administration. I've never seen two guys. I would say that you got along with President Trump probably better than anybody else at the White House. You know, I, I enjoyed being around him. He is He's all action. Uh, and, and he was a lot like, you know, I didn't obviously, uh, Teddy Roosevelt was a much earlier period, but those that knew him said that man is all action. And President Trump, he is all action. He's the anti-process president. Yeah, I mean, you just saw everything that Chris Christie went through. Do you think it's time for Republicans to start uh, speaking up and sounding off about everything that's going on in this country? Well, I do. You know, and I don't think the biggest threat, quite frankly, is Russia, China, or even Iran. I think the biggest threat facing our country is the deep divisions. Yep. And we see it every day, and the divisions are deep, and they're, and they're pronounced. And so as, as a nation, as Americans, uh, within, the con, within the context and framework of the Constitution, because that's the guiding principle, we need to learn to work together. We can't solve these problems. It's almost, in a SEAL perspective, it's almost like being in a boat where one group is rowing one way and the other group's rowing the other way, and the boat's going around in circles. And our nation is adrift on, on meeting the challenges of, like, we, we got an open border pro- uh, problem, and we do. It's an open border. I live in Montana, and we're not allowing Canadian citizens to come to come down and shop that are legal residents. But we have a southern border that's wide open. Uh, we have we have China breathing down our, our not only our back but the but the hemisphere. Uh, we we have Russia. We have a number of of serious issues. Uh, and, there, and there's a there's a great deal of the population that feels like you know the the American dream isn't isn't available to me. And we have to address that because, you know, the American dream should be available for everybody that wants to work hard, self-sacrifice, it's self-determination, mm-hmm. it's, the, it's the freedoms. That's the founding principles of our country, and I think we need to return to those and articulate them. So I, you, I do agree with, right. with Chris Christie as we also got to point to the future. Look, this is fixable. What man breaks, man can fix. We're a great country. We don't. We always have been from the very beginning. We meet challenges and we win. Yeah, but you got to try. And on the southern border, oh. they're not trying, and and that's what bothers me. They're not. They don't have bad tactics. They have no tactics. Makes me think they're trying to flood our country with people we know nothing about. Many of which uh, are positive for COVID nineteen. For some reason, we're offering them the vaccine. Thirty percent are turning it down. And we're looking around to we're being blistered every day to take the vaccine, take the vaccine. They're going to knock on our door, explain and give us the vaccine. But how do you explain what's happening in Texas, Arizona, New Mexico and California? It has to be willing and knowing that, that, that he's, and the policy is so bad, to your point, that there are, there are, there are wonderful people that, that are, have been waiting in line, filled out the, the 
tons of paperwork would be an immediate value out of this country. They're waiting in line, and we can't process those. And and we have an open border where people just walk across, get on a bus, and and go someplace across the country. And to your point, we don't know who they are. We don't know whether they've been vaccinated, uh, and and the, the likelihood of them showing up for a for a an appointment for, for a a hearing. Three years in the future is so minimum, it's not even worth talking about because it doesn't happen. So, uh, but that's just one of the many problems we, we, we have in this out-of-control spending in D.C. Uh, we, we ripped through trillions of dollars on COVID. And where did the money go, Brian? Well, what do we get for it? it it's, like, it's like sending drunk kids out with a car uh, with a full tank of gas and they come back, hey, what do you, what do you got with, a, with, a, with the money I gave you? Nothing. I, I can't. Uh, so I can't argue with that analogy. Not to work, and it's it's. it's uh, but it's fixable. But 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 you know, we we got to point out where this administration is dead wrong, and that should be an easy lift because they're dead wrong on a number of issues, and point out how to fix it. Congressman Ryan Zinke with us. Congressman, so after being Secretary of the Interior, you and I did some great features. They're on Fox Nation from going underneath the Lincoln Memorial to going behind the Mount Rushmore. I I can't believe you were able to give us great access. Remember the Statue of Liberty, my friend. Uh, I mean, we were were at at the torch. It was a great standoff where we're being brought in by the... Uh, by the National Park Service, and we're, we're at the head in the crown. And we say, we'd like to go in the torch. He goes, we can't do that. And you basically said, I'm the Secretary of the Interior. He goes, I'll get the keys. So that's how we got in the torch. Uh, it was pretty cool. And he, uh, very uh, few people get up there, and it was a great experience. So you have all this, an effective Secretary of the Interior. You attack constantly. So why do you want to go back? Well, I love my country, and it's fixable. You know, and a lot, a lot of my friends say, you know what, the, the country's not fixable. It's gone too far. And I point to two things. If you go back to when I came in as Secretary of Interior, nobody thought that we could not only be energy independent, but we could be energy dominant in two short years. And we were. And I can tell you, environmentally, it is better to produce energy in this country under our regulation than watch it get produced overseas with no regulation. And then on environmentally, Everyone said there is not a possible, no chance, zero chance that you're going to fix our national forests and our park infrastructure. They're falling apart. And, you know, the Great American Outdoors Act, we fix, we fix that. So if you can fix those things in a, in a short period of time, you can address these larger issues. But you got to work together. you got to get to 218. You know, in Congress, it's not enough to convince yourself. you got to convince your teammates and your colleagues and even reach across the aisle, and there are a lot of Democrats uh, that will that will vote with the Constitution for a compelling reason. You know, as a former military officer, I never asked whether the person next to me was Republican or Democrat. I didn't care. Do you love your country? Do you have mission focus? Do you want to make it better for everybody? Great. So let's let's go back to the fundamental principles of of what our beautiful Constitution says about self-determination, individual freedoms, limited government, and understand the states gave the federal government the authority, the power. It wasn't the other way around. And we, the people, we, the people, run the government. Mm -hmm. The government doesn't run us. True. Uh, So you want to go back and run for a seat in Montana, representing Montana. 
Congressman, how much does it play into it that the Republicans are just a handful of seats from the majority? Because I hear from others that to be in the minority in the House is really a feeling of helplessness. How much does the fact that the majority is there for your taking uh, fuels your comeback? Well, I wouldn't run if Montana was just one seat, but Montana got another seat. And how ironic is that the majority of the United States House representatives runs through Montana? Just like a river runs through it, the majority runs through it because we have an additional seat. Uh, California lost a seat. You know, other other some other states did. Montana gained a seat. So Montana now has a has a has a chance to contribute to the majority of the United States House of Representatives, and we're going to win. Uh, the the president endorsed me. His his endorsement was absolute, total, and complete. Uh, and and so that will be enormously helpful. It'll, you know, not that he wouldn't endorse me. You know, as, as you point out, uh, President Trump and I worked 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 together uh, a lot, and he was the best boss I've had. Uh, he used to call me at two thirty in the morning, and if he had a question, believe me, he'd ask. He, he he was hands on, and and he didn't want to see process; he wanted to see results. And I think Americans want to see results. Uh, from our from our leaders, from our lawmakers, and the results are fixing the problems, and, and not just this political uh, fighting every day. I hear you. And Nancy Pelosi needs needs to retire the gavel. She, so, she because she's the, as divisive as any any speaker in probably the history of the body. I cannot wait until she's in America's rearview mirror, but. Uh, Montana had a governor who was the first, it has a governor that is the first to get rid of the supplemental insurance to get people back to work and has been effective. But still, jobless claims were above expectations again. Even though we have 9 million jobs open, we still had about 400,000 plus applying for jobless claims. Here's what the Secretary of Commerce said about that. Cut 40. Every business I talk to says that they, uh, need to find talent. So I don't know if I would call it a shortage per se. I would say there's a skills gap. And that's why we put so much money of this $3 billion. You know, a half a billion of $3 billion is just for skill development, apprenticeship, high-quality job training. So she doesn't believe that, I'm sure, to tell people who don't have a job they have no skills and we're not talking about we're not talking about a space engineer. We're talking about hospitality positions where they train you. How could somebody as a commerce secretary expect us to believe that? And do you believe she believes that? Well, I can't fathom that she actually believes what she's saying. Um, you know, in, in Montana, as an, as an example, I mean, there are signs everywhere for for just come in and work. Just to show up on time. The bar is show up on time, leave on time, and work. <laughs> that, that's, that's, not, that's not a tough yep. bar. Do I agree that we need more skill enhancing? Yeah, there's the cybersecurity training sure. we need. There, and there, there's, a, there's a lot of skills, workforce development, um, all, aboard it, uh, all, all about it. But uh, she misses the point. There are jobs available for, for people to take them. Uh, and, and people are not taking the jobs that are that are available. I mean, Montana, everyone's uh, looking for help. 
from the the timber mills all the way to the service industry, all the way to manufacturing, and there is in-house training a lot a lot of times. Uh, you're right, but there's jobs available for those that want to work. Uh, Ryan Zinke wants to be congressman again as Montana adds a seat, and their housing uh, is coveted because the housing prices are going up. People see Montana and say, I want to move there. Ryan Zinke beat him to the punch, and he wants to go back to Washington. Uh, best of luck, congressman. Great to see you again, or it's I speak to you, and I look forward to the to seeing uh, and uh, we'll we'll go to, on a, on another tour around around D.C. and across the country. I'd love to. Well, I just need your help and security coming uh, navigating New York. I need a Navy SEAL by my side to use the subway. So there you we go. What? It was it was easier being a commander at SEAL Team Six in the SEALs than it was a secretary, because <laughs> at least the commander, most of the rounds were coming from the front, right? And you could you could deal with it. As secretary, a lot of rounds came from behind, and and and, and you and you couldn't take them out. I know they did it with their words, uh, Congressman, but they they missed their target, and you're back in action, Ryan Zinke. Thanks so much. Thank you. God bless. You got it. Back at a moment with your calls, one 408 What Tom Hanks sounded like as he announced the Indians became the Guardians. That story next. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. And now it's time to unite as one family, one community, to build the next era for this team and this city. To keep watch and guard what makes this game the greatest. To come together and welcome all who want to join us. We are loyal and proud and resilient. We protect what we've earned and always defend it. Together we stand with all who understand what it means to be born and built from the land. Because this is the city we love and the game we believe in. And together we are all Cleveland Guardians. Wow, Cleveland Guardians, just like that. The Indians came about in 1915. In 2021, they changed their name mid-season. And uh, all the paperwork's being done, and all the logos are being changed. And we know that Geraldo, not that happy about it, but Tom Hanks was. He probably got a nice paycheck to do that voiceover. That's the story. And that's a lot of news. And my big three is a lot of news. But I just got to wonder, do I need to know more? More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. All right, here we go. The Olympics are off to a rugged start. Uh, they were, they're considered uh, troubled, I'd say. They were not subjected, evidently, to the usual rigors of anti-doping over the last 16-month period, which opened up tomorrow. Remember, this is a year late. So for three months early in the pandemic, virtually all drug testing programs were suspended. That may mean that this whole, all these records might just fall if people were doing performance-enhancing drugs. There was a 45% reduction in testing globally due to the pandemic. What do you think? I think it's interesting. They also say track and field has seen a slew of personal bests in addition to the NCAA, national, um, and even world record holders over the past year plus. So, I mean, were they just able to train better during the pandemic? Mm. I don't know. Noted. Caitlyn Jenner defends her trip 
to Australia two months before the California recall. Quote, I actually honor my commitments. If, but if you want to be the next governor, should you have honored your Australian trip? Remember, he won the gold when he was Bruce Jenner, and now he's trying to get to uh, the governor's mansion. I think he's fourth in the recall candidates on the right. Number one is Larry Elder. That is interesting. I, it's going to be good to see. Right. I would like to see her in, um, if they do have a debate of some sort. For the record, I thought everything I said was interesting. I'm sorry, it so is. So why are you pointing that out? I'm just this... pointing out the obvious. Okay, next. Milwaukee Bucks fans lined the streets to celebrate their first championship since 1971. When you get 65000 to sit in the parking lot, you know they're going to come out to see the Bucks. A true team, great story. Uh, Giannis, their MVP, was leading the charge. He is the face of the NBA now, even though he's from Greece. On a separate note, though, so Bill Burr, who we played earlier in the week, you're one of your favorite comedians, apparently, apparently was very mad about so many unmasked Buck fans. And he said, uh, quote, put an effing COVID in a crop duster and fly over the GD crowd. All right. Not happy, but no. very good. I, I am not upset by the unmasked uh, fans because... Many are vaccinated, and the ones that there aren't, it's up to them. And weren't they outside? Yeah, thank you. The NFL teams will be forced to forfeit if their unvaccinated players present them from fielding a team. This has got everybody upset because you have separate rules if you're not vaccinated and separate rules if you are vaccinated. And some player, like uh, DeAndre Hopkins, who's a superstar, said, I might just retire. How dare you sanction me and my teammates if we test positive for this virus? It's just the way that I think organizations and companies are going to try to pressure everyone to get vaccinated. Right. And you know what? You just want people on the field. So if you're in the league, you can't not feel the game. It's going to cost money. It's a private industry. I think that's different. A little bit different than schools. Telling a five-year-old to put a mask on is a lot different than telling a 30-year-old millionaire. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. This hour, we're joined by Mark Thiessen, who believes that if everything as it appears, it looks as though, and I can't believe it, that it uh, looks like Joe Biden could have done a lot worse with the Ukraine than Donald Trump ever was accused of being, just on things we know that appear in the press, telling them, essentially, don't protest the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, and maybe I'll give you a presidential visit. They didn't, and they're getting it. I mean, what are you doing? You're trying to help somebody politically? Politically? By telling them internationally to hold back what's in their nation's best interest. And why is Ukraine special? Because the Russians bypassed Poland and Ukraine with the Nord Stream 2 pipeline and went right to Germany. They're, they're our Western allies cutting them out. So we promised them some things with green technology financing. Fantastic. Give Ukraine some solar panels. That'll be great. Um, so that that's going on. So Mark Thiessen will be joining us. Also, on this Texas situation, you have the Democratic legislators go to Washington be hailed as heroes. But what a disaster. Next thing you know, six gate COVID-19. Pictures appear of them maskless on a private jet with beer in the background. And people act like they're oppressed. And now that we have one of those legislatures went home because his sister has cancer. And when COVID-19 started spreading through the group, he said, I got to get home because if I, uh, I don't want to be infected. 
and I live with her, and she is going through cancer treatment, and she cannot be around anybody that might compromise her immunity because it's already compromised. I think they're going to do a deal. I want you to hear some of that interview, and you can make your own judgment. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Fabric, the easiest way to get affordable life insurance. Learn how to protect your family against the unexpected at meetfabric.com slash Brian. Number three. It's true that this this critical race theory, which has been bubbling up for decades now, Tucker, in academia, yeah. has definitely infiltrated our schools. It's misinformation. It's lies. But again, you can't beat lies with nothing. you got to beat it with the truth. Uh, that would help, and that was Senator Josh Hawley. Race in America playing out in our classrooms and in sports as the administration gets nailed trying to sneak critical race theory material into their budget and curriculum. And two sports legends, same age, same Olympic Games, same medals, expressed their view of America and protest today in the Olympics. You'll hear Shelby Steele present the tie-breaking analysis. Number two. People have got to realize that the border crisis isn't just about illegal aliens because... What the drug traffickers are doing is diverting law enforcement away from hotspots by sending over a mass of people, mm-hmm. maybe 100 people at a time, for example. That is true. Congressman John Katko, and it's agonizing, worse than we ever imagined. New numbers show more have crossed over the border, southern border, illegally than ever before. We pay for their processing. We pay for their housing, their transportation into the interior of the country, and eventually their welfare. How is the Biden administration getting away with allowing this to take place? It is an invasion. Number one. If we're doing all of this stuff to kids, we put tremendous restrictions on kids for a year and a half. 50 million kids with no data. We don't have any studies on masks in children. Where's the data? Where's the study? Dr. McCory exasperated last night with me on primetime. Vax in the arm or mask on the face. That was the deal. That was the choice we were given by our politicians. Now the CDC and this variant have overmatched the president. They are now threatening and rumored to be set to mandate masks again for vaccinated people. I, for one, can be counted out on that. So should a lot of people in California. They were first told to mask up indoors, and they are pushing back as are restaurant owners. The cops have said we're not enforcing it. The White House is targeting now governors who are just not playing along as the school mask mandate looms. Can we please get a real doctor in the House and not a press secretary? Is that too much to ask? So what I'm going to tell you about is Governor Ron DeSantis. You know he took on 60 Minutes. He took on all comers. And after a short time in which he paused, he opened up the beaches, opened up the schools, let people live, urged them to get vaccinated, told them to be careful, but let them make their own decisions. Now with this variant having 80 percent of the new cases, yeah, cases are up, deaths are way down. He's looking around and he's saying, I know what I'm going to do. Exactly what I always told you I was going to do. Keep the schools open and no mask mandate. Let the parents decide. Cut nine. There's been talk about potentially people advocating at the federal level imposing compulsory masks on kids. Uh, We're not doing that in Florida, okay? We need our kids to breathe. Parents obviously can equip their kid to go to school however they want, uh, but there shouldn't be any coercive mandates on our schools. At the end of the day, uh, we got to start putting our kids first. We got to look out for their education. Is it really comfortable? Is it really healthy for them to be muzzled and have their breathing obstructed all day long in school? Uh, I don't think it is. 
So now in Florida, they're said to go back to school. And I know you're thinking in the Northeast, wow, it's going to come up in September. And you even got, you know, we're halfway through the summer. Yesterday was our longest night, I think, of daylight in the Northeast. I know we're listening around the country and around the world. But Governor DeSantis says, that's my policy. And as usual, every time he makes a policy, now 20, they say 40% of all the variant cases are in Texas, Missouri, and Florida. Red states, except for, okay, all red states. There's one other. California is the, is the other one. So three of the four are red states, and they're pointing to that, and they target Florida. Jen Psaki didn't miss a chance to take a shot at what I believe is the, Demo- the man the Democrats fear most. Cut 10. If I were a parent in Florida, that would be greatly concerning to me uh, because kids under the age of 12 are not vaccinated. They're not eligible yet. As the president said last night, obviously it's going to be led by the FDA, but certainly we hope that will be soon. Uh, but that puts kids at risk. It's not aligned with public health guidelines. Uh, we know masks are not the most comfortable thing. Okay, it's I- not a matter of being comfortable. It's about not interacting. And, I, you know, I'm congratulations her kids don't get rashes, but their kid is not reading optimally. If you have a mask over your face, they're not learning, they're not developing. And I'll add something else to this. They got to be able to walk in class, interact on a regular basis. Soon they'll be eligible for vaccines. But if they get it, they won't have severe cases of it. And if they get severe cases, they stay home and they're back. They're always at risk for the flu and other things that ch- children can get. And there's always a chance something fatally could happen. But uh, but statistically, it won't. So why why curtail their emotional growth? It matters. Believe me, it matters. There's no data support masking up. And to condemn a governor for giving parents the ability to decide what to do with their kids is un... You know, it just spins my head around. Ben Dominich, Cut 12. I think the far more rea- uh, far more reasonable and, and obviously, I think, data-supported uh, approach is to say that in every aspect of the promises related to vaccination, we have seen the government pull the rug out from underneath people over and over again about whether they were be- going to be able to go back to living a normal life. And that instead of having the ability to go back to that, they're being told once again the, of the potential of mandates, lockdowns, demands on their children, uh, you know, prevention of being able to uh, go back to living the way that they thought they were going to be able to if you had a significant portion of Americans vaccinated. That's a far bigger danger when it comes to discouraging vaccination than anything that I've heard from any huckster. Look, for double uh, for double vaccinations, we're at 60 percent, 18 and up. The number is going to grow. Plus, the natural immunity will be fine. The variant, yeah, easy to catch. But the cut, but the ramifications and the symptoms are so uh, are so nondescript. No one's worried about it. I'm not worried about it. Once again, I'm vaccinated. But since I'm not a doctor, nor did I go to medical school, I don't even watch doctor shows. I don't think I should be giving you medical advice. It doesn't mean I'm an anti-vaxxer. It means vaccines good for me, but I want you to research for you. That's you not being lazy. So as you know, I have a huge problem with Dr. Fauci. I don't have a huge problem with Joe Rogan, uh, Josh Rogan, and I don't have a huge problem with Rand Paul because what they're saying is flat-out fact. What they've done when the origins of this virus is uh, laudable, and they should be giving some type of awards. I guess the most valuable when it comes to this issue, Pandemic Politician Award, should go to Rand Paul and Josh Rogan, overall understanding the pandemic and explaining it. But Josh Rogan is exasperated, if I could put words in his mouth and give you my judgment of how he's doing— because he writes for the Washington Post, contributes to CNN. He has this great story about the Wuhan virus a year ago, and no one's touching it because Donald Trump 
Trump agrees with it, that this thing came from a lab leak on who won between Fauci and Rand Paul. First, I want you to hear what one CNN person, was it CNN, Allison, or MSNBC? Eamon Eamon Muldrin of MSNBC weighed in on the Rand Paul-Anthony Fauci clash, the latest one, cut 19. Uh, The gain-of-function research, which is something that Senator Rand Paul has brought up while uh, baselessly insinuating that Dr. Fauci is somehow responsible for the COVID virus, we should note that Senator Rand Paul uh, says that he's asking the DOJ for a criminal referral against Fauci. So in the broader context of the conversation around the vaccine and COVID-19, is this a good faith vaccine messaging campaign or are uh, party leaders still feeding into these conspiracy theories? Listen, I don't care what the answer is because the question's ridiculous. If learning the origin of the virus is getting you off the mark or making you anti-vaccine, you got something else mentally wrong with you. Is a pandemic that killed 600,000 Americans and you don't want us to find out how it started? Now, let me just read directly from Josh Rogan's column. Both men, Fauci and Paul, I took an excerpt here, played into the cameras. But many scientists think Paul actually does know what he's talking about. One of them is Rutgers University microbiologist and biosafety expert Richard uh, uh, E. Bright whom Paul quoted as saying the research, quote, matches, indeed epitomizes the definition of gain of function research. Other scientists, even those who believe the lab leak theory likely, argue that Fauci is technically correct, though they note that the official definition is so narrow it enables anyone to avoid the review process Fauci himself helped to establish. In other words, if the oversight commission, oversight system for reviewing risky research is almost never used, what good is it? But it doesn't matter which gain-of-function research you prefer. What everyone can now see clearly is the NIH was collaborating on a risky research project with a Chinese lab that has zero transparency, zero accountability during a crisis, and no one in a position of power addressed that risk. Fauci is arguing that the system worked. It didn't. Even if the lab leak theory is not true, what's clear is that we need more oversight over the risky research, both in the United States and China. Thank you. That's what you'll walk away with. That's what's important. It was not somebody looking to get votes or win over conservatives or libertarians. Mary Catherine Ham, one of the rare people not on Fox, not who doesn't write for the Washington Times, willing to take on Anthony Fauci to the stunning regret of CNN producers and anchors. Cut 13. I don't think it's entirely a game. I think it's that Fauci is a very powerful public official who deserves and rarely gets tough questioning in almost any realm. Uh, He gets, frankly, a lot of fangirling uh, and a lot of uh, just sort of forum for his ideas, and he doesn't get a lot of pushback. Uh, Senator Paul understood the assignment here. He's asking about a tough subject that admittedly none of us are experts on, but I would like to know a lot more about. And despite his protestations, tough questions for Dr. Anthony Fauci are not attacks on science itself. one 866 They jumped on her big time right after that, but she's tough. Uh, you know, she's a big Trump critic, so that's why she gets a lot of airtime on CNN. That's fine. But she also is a conservative. When we come back, I'll take your calls. Bottom of the hour, how 
President Biden's work with Ukraine again is worse than anything Donald Trump was doing. That's all part of his Washington Post column. Keep in mind, too, I'll be hosting the 7 o'clock primetime tonight. A great roster guest uh, from General Proteus to Pete Hegseth to Will Kane, separately, of course. But next, I'll be taking your calls. Also have an announcement on September 25th in Asbury Park in New Jersey. I'll be appearing with Dana Perino for about an hour and a half, maybe two and a half hours, talking about my upcoming book, The President and the Freedom Fighter, my past books, history, the pushback against 1619 and why it should be more 1776. Dana Perino's had a wonderful career. The best is yet to come as a broadcaster. She goes through that while offering great advice. Uh, I did this. We did this. Uh, for Dana's book in Jacksonville, we want to bring it around the country. First stop, Asbury Park, New Jersey. So if you want to get tickets, and I hope you do, go to BrianKilmead.com. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmead. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Meanwhile, I heard that Twitter is testing a new feature that lets users upvote and downvote tweets. It's great. It's like executives looked at Twitter and thought, how can we make this place even more toxic? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's the best we're getting from later. I know. At least we're trying. You know, there was a time, I, it was more 2012, like with Mitt Romney, 2008, absolutely. When we would go into late night, how much was our show? Is We would always bump in with the monologue. It was, and the Daily Show was part of that. The Daily Show was probably the funniest. Yeah, they would be funny. But now I think uh, Corden's off, so they're a little, you know, he's on vacation or something. They're playing reruns. Okay, a couple of things. I don't know if you had a chance to see. I know you're pulling it right now. Is it ready? It is not. But if if I stop talking to you, I can pull it. Okay, (laughs) a couple of things. You'll hear this hour. I had a chance to talk to a Texas legislature, one of the renegades, uh, the 50-plus that left Texas the Democrats, because they didn't want to give a quorum to Republicans to pass H.R. I think it's uh, H.R. 3 in Texas, which is voting rights. And what it is is voting rules, non-pandemic related. And they left because they didn't want it to pass. And it was mischaracterized, in my view, and I think most rational people's view, as something that was going to restrict minorities from voting. And that's why they did it. And I just I know Dan Patrick and I got to know uh, Governor Abbott. There's a lot of things you might not like about being a conservative, but they have no interest in locking out Hispanics, especially when they got more Hispanic votes than ever before. Number two, nor minorities. Okay, one thing about Texas, the Democrats and Republicans tended to agree on a lot. And that's why people are so optimistic that Donald that George Bush, when he was governor, was going to be a president. They could reach across party lines. It didn't actually work out like that. It had to do with the uh, Ted Kennedy thing. But we'll talk about that in Another time. So I talked to him and I said, listen, just tell me what you're against, because they are they, in one county, one county only. There was 24 hour voting in one county. There was drive through voting. But there's a problem with that. You got to staff it. 24 hour voting. You open have polls open up at four and they close at midnight at eight o'clock. So if you work shift work, you get there at eight. If you worked all night, you could still get there at four. But they don't want to staff it 24 hours. It's way too much access and way too much time for error. What they also did is they said instead of doing signature verification, which can be changed and forged, 
Just provide ID. You don't have ID. You need a Social Security number. The last four digits. And when it comes to absentee ballots, we are going to make every coordinator contact absentee ballots that have problems so they can cure them. And you have 13 days, including weekends, voting. That's why they left. Because it didn't have those other things. They said, well, disproportionate number of minorities use 24-hour voting and drive-in voting. Well, what is wrong with drive-through voting? There's a couple of things. If you're in a car of four and everybody's got a ballot, don't you think in that car of four, if you're voting for Trump or you're voting for Biden or Cornyn or Beto O'Rourke, there's going to be inordinate pressure from a family member, whoever you're driving with? Can I see your ballot? Why subject anybody to that? The group think that's not the way voting should be done. And that's part of the reason why people are upset about the way a lot of states handled giving everybody a ballot, mailing it at home in 2020. Because, number one, is it the right house? Is one person grabbing their whole family's ballot and filling it out, whether it's the dad or the mom or the oldest brother? Or what about filling out ballots with not your name on it? They offered controls. So this guy, Dutton, has come back and he's going to start dealing with Republicans. Hopefully they're going to get some revolve there resolved there. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Wouldn't it be more transparent to just release the names of the buyers so that everyone would know who purchased this art and how much they paid? Well, we don't. We won't know who the buyers are. Uh, Hunter Biden won't know who the buyers are. So I think the re- the origin, I think, of this line of questioning, which is understandable, is about whether this would provide on uh, provide a situation for undue influence. But we won't know who they are. So there's no scenario where they could provide influence. Oops, we're going to know who they are because it looks like Hunter Biden's going to show up and explain some of his art. Many experts don't even believe he did it. Mark Thiessen's with us, Fox News contributor, Washington Post columnist, AEI fellow, and co-host of What the Hell is Going On podcast. Mark, welcome. And he, did I say Washington Post columnist? Yes, I did. I should trust myself. Uh, Mark, welcome. Too many hats. Yeah, Mark, <laughs> do, um, did you know that Hunter Biden would be this in our face from his book to the book tour to actually saying, I don't know if it's my laptop, and then saying, I think I'll take some art lessons and now could sell it for up to five hundred thousand dollars yeah it's, i didn't know he was an artist i mean i remember way back when do you remember spy magazine in the 1980s sure and they did this great thing where they rented out a gallery in soho and they had a bunch of five and six and seven year old paint paintings with like that and then they put it up and they had a big show and they had people come in and they secretly recorded them as they were commenting on like on the on the art that was created by these small uh, tiny artists that's basically what hunter biden is doing <laughs> he's, he's, he's just I mean, would anybody buy a hunter biden if his name was was like hunter teeson <laughs> Right. And $500,000 for it. I don't know. Maybe kill me because you're more famous than I am. But I mean, come on. It's such it's a complete scam. So when people at home say, what's the big deal? He's got a hobby. At least he's not doing crack. The problem is (laughs) 
who can who can actually afford this? Maybe a Russian oligarch, perhaps, or somebody through a straw buyer that could do that. And don't you think that gets back to Joe Biden? And that's what could be the undue influence. And what Jen Psaki said, I'm sure she thought was right. Now they are saying, no, no, we're he's going to know the buyers. He's going to meet with them. <laughs> and speak to them in Ukrainian about oil, about uh, natural gas, because he's an expert in that as well. Right. I mean, God, it, give me a break. It, this guy is like, it, it, it's, it's like, I mean, not... He makes Billy Carter look like a, like an upstanding citizen. This is like the the worst presidential relative in and most in in American history. The idea that Hunter Biden is like can't figure out after everything he's been through, he can't figure out that the thing that what he needs to do is just lay low, right? Just 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 not be in the news, not try and make money off of his father. You know, not 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 complicate his father's presidency, which is complicated enough. I mean, Joe Biden has got to worry about the border crisis he's unleashed, the crime wave that that is happening on his watch, and all the other things that are happening. And he's got to worry about Hunter Biden too. I mean, come on. Absolutely. And by the way, I think he's in on it. I think they're trolling us uh, as if to say I am impervious because the media won't report this effectively. So in the Washington Post today, I read your column. And it is really telling. And, you know, I got this. uh, I'm just beside myself in the fact that we had a secret. We had a president of the United States that alerted me for the first time uh, in President Trump that the Nord Stream 2 pipeline was going to go through Germany to our Western allies and was going to be controlled by Russia. And what President Trump said was totally logical. Why am I paying to protect them, paying to protect them in Western Europe if they're going to be making cutting energy deals with the people we're protecting them from? And that's Russia. When we could perfectly willing to sell them our natural gas, we became the you know, we became this great uh, natural gas provider, the LNG. The technology might not be right there, but we're ready. And we stopped it in its tracks. And the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, when the administration changed, says, we will stop this. I will stop the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. But Joe Biden restarted it. Now tell me where this gets complicated. So remember when the House Democrats impeached Donald Trump for twisting Ukrainian President Zelensky's arm and conditioning a White House visit, allegedly, on his willingness to investigate Hunter Biden? Well, guess what? Axios just reported that the Biden administration is trying to twist Zelensky's arm into accepting this Nord Stream 2 deal they've cut with Germany, which will allow the pipeline, now allow Russia to circumvent Ukraine, because all Russian natural gas goes through Ukraine right now, and they'll be able to circumvent them and go straight to Western Europe so they can cut off Ukraine's natural gas at any point without uh, endangering their, uh, their, their natural gas sales. And they're trying to twist Ukraine into accepting this deal, which is an existential threat to their country. And you know what they did? They could the Ukrainians say that they conditioned his White House visit on his on the president's silence in criticizing the deal. Exact same thing that they accused Trump of using a White House deal on Hunter Biden. And so this is far worse. They're trying to get the Ukrainians to accept something that is going to be an existential threat to their country, that is going to allow Putin to have a stranglehold on Ukraine's energy supplies. Where are the impeachment managers? Where where, where is the the impeachment inquiry into, into, into President Biden? So what you're saying is this Nord Stream 2 pipeline and the Germans unconscionably allowed this bypasses Ukraine and Poland and goes right through that country. And that's the hub. And it goes and feeds right through to, uh, to the Netherlands. 
And so it was 90% done. They now, they immediately started work on it again. They're basically going to finish it, and Joe Biden green-lighted it. He went against most of his administration in doing so, and they've publicly condemned him. Other Democrats, like Senator Kane and like Senator Ben Cardin, said, I don't want to do this. Why are you doing this? And he's doing it anyway. It makes me wonder, what does he, what does Russia have on Joe Biden? Why would so Vladimir Putin also has a lackey? You point out in your column, and now sanctions are released on that lackey, uh, Matthias mm-hmm. Waring. What's significant about this in the story? For, he's a former East German intelligence officer who is the who is running the company that's building the Nord Stream two pipeline, and so Donald Trump in 2019 imposed sanctions, signed legislation imposing sanctions on all the companies that are involved in the Nord Stream 2 deal, and that he was willing to go so far as to sanction not just the Russians, but the German companies and the German utilities, the end users who are going to receive the natural gas. And guess what happened when he did that? All the construction stopped in 2019. Guess when the construction started again? In February, just after Joe Biden took the oath of office, even though he was saying he was going to continue the sanctions, but they knew what we didn't know, which is that he was going to capitulate. He lifted the sanctions on this East German intelligence officer, Putin crony, that Donald Trump imposed, and then he, and which which is basically lifted the sanctions, gave a green light, and they didn't, and then they gave a green light to the pipeline, and they didn't even tell the president of Ukraine. He learned about it in watching on watching the White House press briefing. They didn't even give them a heads up. And then here's the other thing, Ryan, which is fascinating. The, remember during the impeachment, they said that Donald Trump, temp, when he temporarily put a hold on aid, lethal aid to Ukraine, he had already sent $47 million worth of Javelin missiles to Ukraine that the Biden, uh, the Obama-Biden administration wouldn't send. He put a temporary hold on it and then let it go. They said that was an impeachable event. Guess what Biden did when he came into office? Put a hold on $100 million in lethal aid to Ukraine. This guy is doing. He calls Putin like everybody complained about Donald Trump that he was so soft on Putin because he because he said nice things about Russia and because of his soft rhetoric. But he was incredibly tough on Russia and policy. Joe Biden calls him a killer. Well, that's nice. But he's lit. He's a new start treaty. He's he's lifted the saying he's green lighted the uh, the uh, the Nord Stream two pipeline. He's giving Putin everything he wants. He's basically signed off on Putin's energy dominance uh, dominance of Europe. It's unbelievable, and it's just, it's beautifully summarized in your column, and people have to bring this up. How can you possibly have a show on another channel and not bring up what this is, is a series of passive pushes on Vladimir Putin, who continues to hack us, whether we want to or not, even though we gave him a list of places not to hack. For some reason, he's still doing it. And in case you think that this is not going to come to fruition, where they pay the price, you cite that that the Ukraine has already been threatened with an energy uh, with, with with an energy cost from Russia that if they continue, they better act a certain way or they'll be cut off entirely. No, that's exactly right. So, so, so people understand why this Nord Stream 2 pipeline is such a bad thing. So right now, in order, Russian natural gas to US sales to Western Europe have to go through Ukraine. There's a pipeline through Ukraine, right? So if they want to cut off Ukraine's energy, and to pressure them, they would have to lose all their lucrative sales to Western Europe, right? So what they came up with, the genius idea, is let's put a pipeline through the Balt- under the Baltic Sea that goes straight to Germany and bypasses Ukraine. So not only will we, make, will we make Western Europe more energy dependent on Russia, but we will also 
throw Eastern Europe and Ukraine to the to the to the wind, and now Putin can squeeze off all the energy in that country and pressure them to capitulate to to him without endangering his sales, because we know the Europeans are not going to cut, stop accepting Russian natural gas just because he's being mean to Ukraine, right? And no sooner had Biden signed off on this than Putin gave a speech saying, Ukraine better behave or they're going to they're going to lose their their energy. So we've literally thrown Ukraine under the bus with Vladimir Putin, but, but at least he didn't have a mean summit, an embarrassing summit with with Putin, where he said things that were uh, that were embarrassing. I want you to hear what Mike Pompeo told me two nights ago on primetime. This is dangerous and it is dumb. I cannot believe that they've lifted these sanctions, frankly, congressionally mandated. That is legal requirements that they had. I don't know how they got around it. I guess they found a place they thought they could make a waiver. But importantly, substantively, remember this. <clears throat> we had slowed this down significantly. We had it stopped. The German leadership knew it. The Russian leadership knew it as well. Yeah, they talked about 90% of the pipeline. That's just irrelevant. You, you can't flow crude oil through or natural gas through a 90% completed pipeline. You need 100%. <laughs> and so this is just a ruse. This is a hide. They are, they are cuddling up to the Germans. I suspect it's because they want to do some climate change deal with them. But this is bad for the Ukrainian people. It's bad for the people of Eastern Europe. And it poses a significant security threat to the United States and our NATO allies as well. Yeah, and what he was referring, yeah, what he was referring to is that they say, well, Trump left me no choice because it was 90% done. And that was a ridiculous statement. We all know it's that. ridiculous. No, he's 100% right. You can't put, uh, it has to be 100% done to put, put uh, natural gas through it. And so President uh, Zelensky of Ukraine he said that basically this pipeline is a weapon pointed at Ukraine, and Biden has provided the bullets. That's what the president of Ukraine said uh, about this. He's just absolutely shocked that we would throw him under the bus in this way. And then, by the way, let's throw the other, the other thing into this mix, which is in addition to allowing this pipeline, which is going to make Western Europe more dependent on Russia for natural gas, we are also, you know, we're, we're, we're cutting, we, we, we're okay with this pipeline happening, but we're cutting off the Keystone XL pipeline, and we're, and we're tamping down on natural gas production here in the United States. Our natural gas LNG exports to Europe are part of the strategy of making them less dependent on Russia. We should be increasing our LNG production and selling more to Europe so they don't have to buy from Russia, so they're not dependent on Russia and Putin, and they don't. And Putin can't squeeze uh, the uh, the uh, the Ukrainians. And so it this, and it burns clean. So basic. And it burns clean. Uh, so yeah, natural exactly. gas is not an environmental risk. Mark, it makes such sense. We'll talk about it more at seven o'clock tonight. Is that okay? I can't wait. Looking right. forward to be on with you. Mark Thiessen, uh, his column of the Washington Post, a must-read, and he just told you why. When we come back, we'll take your calls, one 408 7669 listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I read that muffins sold at Walmart and 7-Eleven have been recalled over concerns about listeria. Walmart apologized while 7-Eleven just slapped on a sticker that said listeria flavor. Okay. <laughs> I mean, just the joke that, you know, right. you never know what you're getting at 7-Eleven. Uh, absolutely. Um, that's true. So I'm just saying it, it's placed to our theme this week. Uh, late night television's not funny. We have to go somewhere else for comedy and they don't care. I would agree. However, it's just, I feel like this is like a glimmer of hope in that at least Fallon did like three jokes on non-political stories. 
that are semi-funny. Right. You know what? I'm going to start taping and see if I can get something. And between you and I, maybe we're going to find something. Uh, real quick, so I talked to this Texas lawmaker. One of the big standoffs, ongoing stories over the last three weeks is this voting legislation. It's not to change voting. It's to, to normalize voting, to get out of the pandemic where you get unsolicited ballots and there are drop boxes everywhere and you don't know where people are showing up with and there's no signature verification or there is signature verification and there's no verification. So uh, Texas made some changes. Everybody in the Republican side voted for it. The Democrats ended up leaving it. They need 100 votes. They end up in Washington, D.C. Along the way, they, six of them tested positive for COVID-19. They might have infected the vice president. They have not told us. So far, she's tested negative. They wanted to meet with the president. Nobody would meet with them after that because they're COVID positive. Nobody wants to be part of the Delta variant craze. Plus, they were caught with beer and maskless. It's been a disaster. So that's why I was surprised when Representative Dutton joined me on Fox and Friends today. He's a Democrat. He's one of two that left Washington, went back to Austin on the premise and auspices that, and I believe him, his sister has, uh, is going through chemo. And he said, my sister can't live with me if I get COVID-19. So I left. So obviously, she's compromised. And then I thought, I'm going to go talk to Republicans and see if I can work this out. The problem is he didn't tell any Republicans Democrats that he left in Washington that he's doing this. I hope you understand it. Here's a little of the interview. On the surface, it looks like those are benign. I mean, they're yeah. not necessarily this or that or for this person or that person or this group or that group. But the reality is that the majority of the people who took advantage of those, both of those provisions, were black and brown. And so when you take it away, what you're doing is you at least give the appearance uh, of taking, of ter- targeting black and brown folks. So what he's referring to the fact is they got rid of 24-hour voting. They couldn't staff it. They thought it was uh, too easy to make it insecure. They also got rid of drive-through voting. They thought that was crazy. They also said goodbye signature verification. And they said the people that took advantage of that were black and brown. And I asked him flat out, do you believe they did this for racist purposes? He goes, no, I don't think Abbott or Dan Patrick are racist, but I think they want less people to vote so they'll do better. I don't see it that way, and neither does Dan Patrick. He watched this, and he wrote to me, here we go. I asked him about 24-hour voting. Why did you do it? He said, I don't believe it's in any state. Shift workers go 4 to midnight, can vote before work. Midnight to 8 can work, uh, can vote after work. No need for overnight voting. Hard to get workers and volunteers. We have two weeks of early voting. That's true. 13 days of early voting. Plenty of time to vote in Texas, including weekends. Texas has increased voting for more than any state over the past decade, up about 40% since passing voter ID. 70% of you out there say you, you're for voter ID because you want your vote to count. So SB1 expands hours for early voting from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And then from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m., uh, 9 p.m., uh, two days a week. SB1 requires that workplace give you off to vote during early voting or current law uh, requires that on Election Day. Um, so there you go. I don't see where this is Jim Crow 2.0. And when these guys picked up and women picked up and left, I asked him too flat out. Do you recommend Republicans do that, too, that if they since they're in the minority, if they don't like something the Democrats are proposing, do you think they, instead of leaving the state, should leave the country? And he goes, no, they're working the filibuster just fine. But by the way, the Democrats also want to get rid of the filibuster, all except Joe Biden. So I hope you're able to follow that. My hope is next time I'm doing this show, 
This will be resolved. See you on primetime tonight if you have to leave us. 7 o'clock Eastern time. And go to BrianKilme.com. I'm doing a stage show in Asbury Park, New Jersey with Dana Perino. You can get your tickets at Ticketmaster or BrianKilme.com. See you there. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.